Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Sugar Coated Murder Podcast, a brilliant true crime podcast hosted by two zany sisters, all while baking up delicious treats in their kitchen. Here are your podcast hosts, Karen Devaney and Ann Varner. Welcome to Sugar Coated Murder, y'all. This is Karen. I don't know, and somewhere around here. Anyway, this is part two of our interview with Dr. Kinsey. Enjoy. Like, is there a method to the madness? No, ma'am. I just, I don't have superstitions, but... uh, Well, you don't wear the same suit in the same way. Oh, well, well that, that is... That could be a superstition, I think. You got me. And I've always got St. Michael on, too, uh, you know, but... You uh, but <laughs> I, it's getting your behind tore up, you know, uh, 20. I mean, your first couple of years in law enforcement, you don't do a lot of big testimony, but you do a lot of little testimony. And then when you graduate to work in major crimes, you're in general sessions court or maybe federal court a lot. And these attorneys tear you up. Oh, yeah. I mean, you walk out with your hat in your hand. Mm, it's hard to watch. And I wish I would have known then just be nice. Mm-hmm. Because you find yourself sparring with them, and that turns the jury off. Mm. So now I just practice being nice. I, I'll find a quiet spot, and I will come up with a list of questions I think they're going to ask me. And I think of it from the scientific side, and I think of ways, I call it showing my teeth. Uh, I think of ways that if they get me up against the ropes, what can I do just to show them a little bit of teeth to keep from turning that jury off? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, your analysis, (laughs) you know, uh, he kept saying your analysis, your analysis. I said, if Mr. Griffin says that one more time, I'm going to bust this. Yeah. Your analysis. (laughs) And if you notice, it just it totally threw him. He did this. You know, or I started testifying about the shotgun pellets and you had heard testimony. It's like a mama duck with all the little baby ducks behind it. That's not the way a shotgun works. And I started talking. I'm like, really? It's a cone. And it took off from there. And, uh, you know, when when Mr. Harpootlian was messing with me with the tape measure, he's like, what is three feet? I'm like, three feet? No, what is three feet? I said, you got the tape measure. <laughs> it's just little things that I think of ahead of time yeah. that I can use. It's, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just telling them the judge is going to let me answer and he's going to let me explain he or she. And you're not you might not like the way I explain it. And it's just little things that I wish I'd have learned 25 years ago when a defense attorney says, step down here in front of the jury. Certainly get up. You step. No, no, no. You turn to that judge and you ask their permission every time. Right. It's just little nuances like that. Like knowing which way that door opens when you're going to the witness stand. I flipped over one one time. Oh, it opened one way. And you were that would be me. Oh, absolutely. I was a very young uh, investigator, sled agent, actually, and I almost turned a complete somersault (laughs) in the courtroom. That's awesome. Uh, You know, it's little things like that. You learn the door. 
in the Murdoch case. And, and it was it was uh, Alan Wilson's you know idea. But that door opened the same orientation as the feed room at Moselle. Okay. It just worked out worked to out. our advantage. And you, you pay attention. And, and the one thing that helped me with Murdoch, and it's not usually like this because my wife reminded me of this on the way down here, you're usually sequestered. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. So the benefit of Murdoch, I could learn their styles. Mm-hmm. And I've been in the courtroom, Mr. Harpootlian. Several times. I didn't know. I knew Mr. Griffin, but I didn't know his style. But you get to learn their style and you get to see them when they blow up and they get dramatic and you learn how to push their buttons. Nice. And if you're nice to the jury, but you can still push their buttons and the jury don't get mad at you for pushing their buttons, you're going to back them off when they start getting too close. And that's what makes an expert. I agree. Right? That's what wins cases. And the little ladies, the little ladies on the jury, and like I said, they were in all denominations. They were black, white. They were business casual. They were casual. You have no idea where they're from, Mm -hmm. what path they walk. When uh, I would get up, you couldn't see it, but they would slide their candy dishes up. Oh, my God. Now, I didn't dare take a piece of candy because I'm not causing a mistrial. No, right. But- when the defense witnesses would get up, they threw their candy dishes back. Oh my gosh, that's really? And that's a little dramatic because the shelf was about this far, yeah, but right. I just wanted to show you, yes. you know, demonstrative purposes. I was like, I'm okay. And uh, I said, they are, you know, they are receptive to uh, my answers. That along with backing them up just a little bit. And then the bottom line is just telling the truth. Right. Right. Like I said, if you're wrong and if it's not the truth, you got to really believe it's the truth and you got to be making a genuine mistake and you're not doing it for some nefarious reason. Yeah. And you can't, you got to leave your arrogant oh, at the door. You got to know they are in charge. Yeah. And my job is just to explain this evidence to the jury. Right. The podcast and the interviews. And I remember when Miss Chanley come up to me, can, can, can you do an interview? I said, no, ma'am. I said, I can't talk to anybody till this trial's over. And I have to ask permission first. And she was so cool about it. Mm-hmm. She's like, great. First person to interview me when I asked and got permission, it was Chanley Painter. Oh, okay. nice. And, uh, you know, we had a great relationship when we go out to the scenes and stuff. And, and we just I think we job real good on camera. But it was just because she was nice. And she she wasn't pushy. Mm-hmm. Twenty years ago, if they said, "Oh, please come on," I'd have said, "Okay." <laughs> and then you'd see me in the news, like right. some other folks. But you know, I, this old coon has walked some slippery logs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's hysterical. How did you develop such a thick skin that you come off cool as a cucumber? I mean, you really do. You come off just as a genuine, nice person that cannot be rattled, which I love because that's not who I am. So when the cross, I mean, you're, you've talked about it a little bit, like when they start to push you, you show your teeth, you find ways, but have you ever lost your cool? Oh, yes, ma'am. Like I said, that's how I learned this. I would go in there and spar with some attorneys. You know, Mr. Carl Grant, who I have a lot of respect for, he does some commentary for WIS in Columbia. He said some really special things about me on the news. And I told Didi, I'm like, uh, man, me and him, we've been like two pit bulls going against one another. 
And then you've got those real nice attorneys that even when they're insulting you, they're nice. Yes. You know, the Byron Gibsons <laughs> and, and the Charlie Williams. And, and, you know, you can go to the other side and find those that the way they approach their cases and their client's defense is to attack you personally. Mm-hmm. And so you learn. And, and like I said, I could really, really, I mean, I could be 50 states if I would have known this secret. 20 years ago. Right. Be nice. The We live in such an atmosphere now to no matter which side you're on, everyone wants to bite the head off of the next guy or lady. You don't need that in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And it turns that jury against you. Some judges will turn against you, and you definitely don't want that. Oh, no. Lord, no. So, Can you uh, imagine? I'd be heartbroken if like, Judge Newman Judge didn't says, like me. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, I'm I mean, so well, sorry. Well, I got a little heads up, y'all. <laughs> and if, it, you might have even noticed it. Uh, look, it's it's my Clemson degree, certainly brick and mortar. My master's degree, brick and mortar, went to Troy uh, Satellite Campus in Sumter. There wasn't an option for a PhD unless you did online. Now, what a lot of folks don't understand is I did four residencies. That's a lot of time sitting in a chair in a classroom in Atlanta, Georgia. And it wow. Was, it was eight days at a time. You know, it's just a lot of work. Well, I had heard that the defense snickered a little bit about my degree there like that guy is, uh, that's the one with the bubblegum wrapper degrees or something. Someone in the courtroom told me what they had said when I wasn't there. And so my plan of attack was, I'm going to chop them down. <laughs> and because our men and women that fight in our military for us, for our freedom, a lot of those men and women use their GI Bill for Walden, Absolutely. Capella, Roy. I said, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And I was going to say all that. And uh, on the way to the stand, my grandmother, who passed away in the early 90s, she said, just be nice. Oh. And so if you notice the first line, you know, do I call you chief? Do I call you deputy? Do I call you doctor? Sir, you can call me anything you want. I'm going to answer. And I could just see that took. Because he right. wanted, he was poking. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. He was poking. And, and he uh, wanted you to come back and say, you need to call me doctor, right. special expert. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, you can call me. I said, it's not what you call. It's what you answer to. Yeah. And I'm going to answer to whatever you call me. Mm-hmm. And I could see the jury. That's when they started looking at me and paying attention. Yeah. And, and he came off as such a bully. Yes, ma'am. And, and nobody I likes a bully. I told very few people. I was even associated with this trial and I had my phone, which I, I wasn't in a law enforcement capacity. So I wasn't supposed to have my phone in the courtroom, but they, I had a badge. They didn't take it from me. I had it on vibrate and it was in my briefcase. And, uh, when I was testifying, it was going off and Judge Newman would look at me and I'd take my foot and push my briefcase down. (laughs) Y'all, I had 60-something text messages when I got off the stand. No, ma'am. Everybody was watching. I had eight. They were like, go, go, go. I haven't had a LinkedIn uh, friend request or whatever you call it, connection request, probably since 2010. (laughs) I had like 40 invitations on LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh, man, on the way home, they killed my battery. People calling me, why didn't you tell me? Like, it ain't that big a deal. No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And uh, like I said, it it just, uh, a lot of people could have done that, ladies. Really, a lot of people could have done it. But you can't let them see you sweat. You learn from your mistake. uh, And Lord, 
my friends that are going to listen to this podcast will <laughs> say, this is so not him. You just have to be nice. You really have to be nice. It's you, such a simple philosophy. It's so hard. It's it really is not that hard. It's really hard sometimes <laughs> to be nice. Well, you know, uh, good advice. That's why for, I can't get on the stand for anything. You would be wonderful. <laughs> good, good advice to any up and coming police officer is it's easier to talk someone into handcuffs than it is to fight them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. And I think it's the same philosophy. I know mom used to say, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And I used to say, I don't want flies, (laughs) so I'll do the vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) She should have used a better analogy. But my my grandmother was a saint. I mean, she was was one of those old Southern Methodist ladies. You know, I'm a Baptist, but she was Southern Methodist. But she was one of them that you couldn't give her a bad day. And, you know, you want to say, well, I think about my relatives every day. No, you really don't. But that day, she reached down and touched me. She said, yes, be nice. She was tweaking your ear like, listen, kid. (laughs) Be nice. (laughs) And if you notice, after about 10 minutes on the stand, you're comfortable then. And I can say this is the first time in 80-something times of testifying that I can prove more than that. But like I said, these cases come back to me. This is the first time I really didn't feel nervous. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, you really didn't feel nervous. And it's been that way ever since then. Yeah. Uh, I said I've testified four times, uh, Charleston, Florence, Sumter, and uh, the upstate. And it, it doesn't, it just doesn't make you, you don't get nervous anymore. Wow. Because well, you, I feel like you, you, you climbed. Mount Everest. <laughs> yeah, with it with big. the Marta trial, I feel like you climbed Everest, and now everything else is like a cakewalk. It's like <laughs> I, I already had slayed the dragon. Right. So I was it. called the Blue Eyed Devil oh, by right. an attorney in court one time. It was a, a it was a homicide case with two defendants. They were brothers. Uh, they are uh, Aveda and Joe Daniels. They are actually still in SCDC. And the trial started and we got almost to the point. And then they took a plea to manslaughter. And uh, that attorney called me the blue eyed devil. And I mean, it was even some racial connotations. Oh, my God. And then the judge admitted the videotape confessions. Oh, okay. And I just remember that attorney backpedaling. And how uh, complimentary she was when we were doing the plea deal. And and it's the only time I've ever spoke to the court not being on the stand. I said, look, I'm paid to be insulted. But I believe that was really, really personal when now the court has seen the video Mm -hmm. where he actually told forensic details that we didn't pick up on. So, you know, that's the way it is. And, And those are the attorneys I really like going up against. And I don't fear that anymore. Mm-hmm. The nice attorneys are the ones that's a coin flip, how it's going to end up. Right. But the ones that come in there and really try to insult you personally, then I'm not scared to go bar for bar because, like I said, what they think doesn't matter. Right. It's what that jury. And what they call you doesn't matter. It does not matter. Because no it doesn't stick. It Ab- doesn't nope. make it so. Absolutely. And your supporters, you ladies, I told you, you know, how uh, I can't program an alarm clock. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the social media thing, you'll have that one, that one, uh, h- how do I say the kind word? Uh, I'm going to say hater. You got that one hater with 30 followers that comes on there. And I've been accused of taking a bribe. What? Oh, oh yeah. Oh my God. I blocked like three people since I got on social media 
How do you equate me submitting an invoice, getting paid to taking a bribe? That's somebody who doesn't understand. Right. And I'm like, look, I waited for one my whole career. I was yeah. like, what are you going to do <laughs> when somebody tries to bribe you? Will it be enough? Because everybody's got a price. Don't exactly. let nobody Will fool you. Will it be enough? 16000 I don't think right. it will be enough. <laughs> will, it really ins- will it insult you? And what a weird number to pick. Or will, right? you, or will you think twice about it and right. then make the right decision? Yeah. But I waited. It never happened. Nobody ever walked in and throwed like, well, an envelope full well, of money down me, on my it's desk. It's not over yet. You're still working. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody uh, somebody asked me about that. And they're like, uh, you know, I, I might have been Jay. And he's like, Leah, I saw where so was. I'm like, yeah, I said, I really waited on it. I waited <laughs> on someone to try and bribe me. Yeah, but nothing. maybe it's the big sheriffs and the big police chiefs maybe, to get the bribes. Maybe, maybe they yeah. are. No one ever like, offered, but I always waited going, I, I hope it's just enough. I'm, I think I'll do the right thing and I pray I'll do the right thing, but I hope it's just enough. Well, everybody it's not has price, I understand. <laughs> it's not insulting, you know? Right. It's insulting if they bribe you and only offer you $16,000. Right. I can't buy a car with this. I, it's not even a one year's salary. So what am I doing? Right. Yeah. That, and so. that, that hater said, uh, I knew he was too good to be true. He got paid. Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, if someone so did the prosecution and so did the defense. If like, someone would have asked me, I'd have told them what I got paid. Sure. They didn't have to go do a freedom of information I mean, for oh my, my little God. check. <laughs> you know, and, and I pay the taxes on it too. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, don't forget to pay your taxes, even on a bribe. That's right. So have you ever had a paranormal experience oh, on I'm a crime so scene? Glad you asked me that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> One of my best friends in the world was my partner at Sled. His name was Bruce, and he passed away. Uh, had some health problems. It was really, really a quick thing. We were going on vacation to Ocean Isle over the July the 4th holiday, and I could tell he wasn't feeling good. And when we were on our two-week rotation, he and I were always together for a couple of years, and he had been at Sled a long time. He was uh, real close to retiring, and he was also either a major or a lieutenant colonel in the National Guard. And he was real close to retiring there also. So uh, we spent a lot of time together. And the day we left to go on vacation, I walked by his office and I spoke with him. And then, you know, a couple of days later, you get the call. If you want to see Bruce again, you need to get to Columbia. Things have made a turn. So we were all, all over the state. He drove terrible. I always had to drive. <laughs> I would not let him drive. But he was my buddy and he was really, really smart. And the sled building, the old laboratory, is, I think, four stories. We were on the second floor, and it's a really, really eerie place at night. He's on the run from the law, falsely accused of murdering his... Wait. Got my scripts mixed up here. Uh, Here we go. This makes more sense. The Movie Wire Podcast with host Justin Henson. Hear Justin's movie verdict wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune in to The Movie Wire today. So I, I lived in Orangeburg County, but if you worked a scene in Charleston or Allendale or, or somewhere, Buford, you couldn't go home afterwards. You had to go to Columbia to drop your evidence off. Oh, right. For the integrity of the evidence. A lot of times I had passed my exit and go, man, I'm tired. We've been up for 24. Because sometimes you run all seven days. Oh, 24. I might not be home two or three days. And you pass by your exit and go, I wish I could go home. 
and you get to Columbia and you're the only one on the sled forensics lab compound at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, gosh. I, I helped train a lot of younger agents and uh, I wasn't a young agent, but just a minute. So I would send them on home. You know, I had some uh, uh, some lady partners and I'm like, look, you got families, you got kids, y'all go on home. I'll take the evidence back and we'll do our thing. That's a real creepy building at three o'clock in the morning. And we had a keypad door and big magnet. It would slam. And Bruce, we wore these big Danner boots. They're really, really heavy. And I hate them now, but that was the thing at the time. Bruce would kind of shuttle and you could hear him dragging those big boots. And so I come in one night and I, like I said, I always worry. I always, but most people would throw their, uh, their card from the camera in their pocket, not Kenny Kinsey. When I got there that night, I was going to download those digital photographs. I was going to make a copy because if they go away, they're going away. Right. I wasn't formatting nothing. And I'm sitting there at my desk and it takes a little bit more time. And I heard that door open and close. And I heard the shuffle. Y'all, I, I, I wasn't smoking no narcotics and, and I never, you know, worked at, at SLED with any alcohol in my system, but this was real. Wow. And I didn't even get scared. And at the end of our hallway is where our lab was at. And I got up and I peeped out the door. It was nothing. And so I went back to the lab and I started packaging my evidence. I heard that door open shut again. And I heard that shuttle. No. So, yeah. Shuffle going down the hall. And I said, Bruce, if that's you, you need to materialize really, really slow. Because <laughs> I'm going to shoot up this laboratory now. <laughs> and ladies, it went away. <gasps> wow. It went away. Yeah. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. And like I said, I don't believe in a lot of that, uh, a lot of that uh, stuff. But I just really feel like. Bruce was making a connection. Oh, wow. And it's never happened since then. Bruce talked, I call it Chapinese. He talked really fast. He was from Chapin. <laughs> and he called me Kenny Lee. Lee's my middle name. And so when our son was born, we named him Kenley. Oh, Kenley, that's cute. You know, oh, and cute. Kenley was born in August and Bruce passed away in July. So, uh, you know, I, I always felt I was, I was only at SLED a couple of years after that uh, and, and never had a lot of great, great partners, but uh, never lost anyone mm -hmm. other than Bruce. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of touched me. Oh, and, wow. Uh, but you like to say if something like that ever really happens and if it was real, I'd be scared. I wasn't scared. Right. I, I just really, it's kind of like if your grandmother comes back. No, I'm not going to run. I want to talk to exactly. her. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. You don't know this about us. It's going to blow your mind. <laughs> so just, and try not to judge us because this is wild. But Anne and I took classes to become spiritual mediums. Wow. So we totally believe in those paranormal experiences. And we believe that your loved ones do come back um, and, and they visit you. And I, I think that he was trying to say, I'm here. I'm here with you. He, he was. Yeah. And like I said, we, we talk, y'all, you can't imagine the conversations you have when you're driving code oh my gosh. from Seneca to Beaufort. Right. And we turn down nothing. The only way we would turn down a scene is if we were in the middle of a scene. If we were on the way back, nope, we're headed to Beaufort. Mm. You know, we spent a lot of time talking. Sometimes it was just nonsense. Sure. But we were really, really comfortable around one another. 
And uh, when when it happened, I mean, no one will ever convince me that it wasn't. Right. And when I started crime scenes now, being around dead folks, uh, I wouldn't take my eye off of them. I'd be over here fingerprinting, <laughs> and I'd be watching them, you know, out of one eye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, when's that coroner going to get here? They got to get him or her out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I would be. Well, yeah, about, no, about, and I'm just the opposite. I'd be like, I can't look at you. You're dead. I yeah. cannot look at you. Just, I want, don't want to see you move. I would be my like, husband, that funny? He was twitches. Yeah. When my husband was in high school, he got a job washing the purse and the limousines for a local, he lived in a small town in Pennsylvania for a local funeral home. In the evenings, you know, when they were done and everything, that's when he would go and do that. But he had to walk through the, the funeral home to get to the office to put the keys back. And normally everybody was gone. And he said, I had to go through the back door through the embalming room and, and then up to the office. Cause the office was like right on the corner. And he said, I would just put my head down. And walk. I didn't want to see any dead bodies. Trying to talk to me. <laughs> like, and that's how I would be. I don't like the funeral process. Mm. None. I've only been in one embalming room in mm. my whole career. And I've done 250 something autopsies. That's different. Right. You know, I've only been in one embalming room and I, I could not be a mortician. Uh, mm. None. I understand it as evidence. It is evidence. Uh, you know, that person's no longer here. And, you know, even with my loved ones, you know, it, 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 it it's just a tent. It's no longer here and, and it yeah. doesn't hit me that way, but I don't like the funeral business. None. It no. takes really special people to be in. Oh. And we need those people. Oh, absolutely. Or we'd be in a heap of trouble. Oh, God. Absolutely. So we need them. And it just takes a really special, I think that's why you see families, generations of families in that business. Yes, because ma'am. Because it's like in their DNA. Right. I, I, it takes you special You're right. somebody yeah. that's been, you know, working in a school cafeteria, all of a sudden they're going to become a funeral home. Right. Like, that. I don't think that happens. That, that well, that cosmetologist, you know, you know, oh, they're yeah. like, oh, we, we just went down to the funeral home and fixed Miss Betty's hair. Yes. I'm like, you did what? I well, know. somebody's got to do it. Uh, no, that, that part ain't for me. Uh, I spend my time in morgues and I put a lot of folks in body bags and that part don't bother me, but it's the... And so when you, when you go home at night, you don't... Like, for me, how do you not take that home with you? I have some ghosts. Uh, not like a lot of people, though. Uh, I, I've always tried to, like I said, view it as evidence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's helped me a lot, but... Like I said, to say you don't have ghosts or you don't have some level of PTSD is mm-hmm. is just crazy. Uh, and you're not being honest with yourself because you do occasionally, you know, wake up in those sweats and, and you're like, I remember so and so. And but it, they're few and far between with me. Mm-hmm. Some people, when I started and, and there were those elders that uh, brought you along and taught you the skills, and I'm so thankful for them. Uh, some of them truly were legends. They did it 25, 30, 40 years, mm. and now the the younger generation, they'll do it one or two years, and now I want to transfer to alcohol enforcement. I can't do this anymore. Oh, wow. Quitting never was an option for right. us. Right. You wanted to do a good job and you wanted to give families answers. And now it's uh, it's just a softer, it's just a softer generation. And I'm not saying it's even a bad thing. It's just their level. I think they're, they're more cerebral. Right. Maybe. And that's why it's, they just react differently. It's because it's just we're evolving as humans. Right. Right. And, 
we have not evolved like the older, like the younger generations have. They're the ones that are evolving. Right? Yeah. And, and I've always said, you know, no sheep. I, I'm, I, I got to be a, a, a lion or a sheepdog. I, I can't be a sheep. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's some people are just fine being sheep. Yeah. And, and that's OK, because you got to have sheep. Crime scene work. Definitely, it it made for those kind of folks because right. you are uh, you're sacrificing a lot. I, I miss my daughter's whole life. Wow. That's why I try to spend so much time with her and you know my grandbaby now. And I just said I'm not going to do that with my son. And uh, you know we spend a lot of time together, but it it's not a it's not a profession. Everybody wants to do it till they get out of that car and they smell it. Or they walk in and they see it. And they're standing in the azalea bushes. Oh, yeah. And you got to get, <laughs> yeah, you gotta get counseling. You know, now that they, oh, they saw a dead body, they have to have counseling. You can't say, no, I'm not going to get them counseling because it's a real thing. Right. But you're like. We didn't get that. Right. No. You yeah. saw one person under a sheet. They were under a sheet. Wow. And that's just the way it is now. And it's just different. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just different. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we still need the John Waynes walking out. You know, your 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 grandparents and my grandparents who were on battlefields in Europe. Yes. You know, they saw things thousand times worse than we'll ever see. That's right. And no one understood it then. They called it shell shock. It wasn't PTSD. And And you didn't get treatment for it. It just Absolutely not. You shut up and you drove through it. And I, I think my generation was a happy medium. Right. If you really needed help, you, you got help. But if not, you just dealt with it. And now we're over to the therapeutic side where everybody gets help. Like you get you get born, you get therapy. We hire, fo- <laughs> we hire folks. We hire folks and bring them in and say, all right, your rotation starts next week. What rotation? Where you go work. Can't actually go work. I have to go on a crime scene. <laughs> I thought I just worked on the crime scene floor. Oh, no, no, you have, you to, have to go, go see work. the scene. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, it's just different. It, yeah, I think I could do the scene. I the smell. And you know, I was coming get, on somebody the first that's time been I, dead a few days. First time I saw a person with uh, fatal bed sores. Oh, uh, God. I'm like, I'm putting everybody in jail. <laughs> I was just a deputy then, and then the surgeon and the doctor had to explain it to me, you know, look, proteins break down, mm-hmm. collagen breaks down. And that that's happened. This, this person wasn't neglected. And I mean, I went out to the car and I'm like, how many pair of handcuffs have I got? Right. Like, a lot of people are going to jail. And it is that that's terrible. Oh, that, I don't know how you they, And they happen so quick. It's yes, just ma'am. like a within hours of, but you do have to have proper care. Well, the nursing students need to, to, a nurse to is, rotate their, their patients and get them off of those. Oh, nurses! Points, they've got so. nurses have my respect. Uh, school teachers have my respect. I teach adults, and it's still you know challenging. <laughs> yeah, <at> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I want to know when was the first time you ever heard Alec Murnau's name? I was familiar with the name. My mother retired from the Hampton City PD, mm-hmm. and so I was familiar with the name. I actually. In 07, I tried a murder case with Alec's dad. And Alec may have been there. I don't remember him there. 07 or 08, they were remodeling their courthouse and they had their courtroom in a feed store. Oh. Literally. In a feed store. Oh, feed store, furniture store. They had put paper up over the windows 
And you walked in, they had like church pews and a little table set up for the witness. And the judge was on a little pedestal. Wow. I didn't know him prior to that. I got a call at SLED. And it took took about two days to get a file at SLED. The reason I had to testify is because Bruce passed away. So I know this was after 07. And uh, he called. He said, I need you. This is solicitor. So is Murdoch. I need you in court in the morning. I said, well, yes, sir, because Chief Stewart would tell you it's slid. You don't make a police chief mad. You don't make a sheriff mad. And you don't make a prosecutor mad. Mm-hmm. So, yes, sir, I'm coming. But I can't get the file. The file is in storage, and it takes a day and a half, two days mm-hmm. from Iron Mountain to get the file. He said, don't worry about no file. If they don't believe you, they ain't going to believe no file. So I went down the next day, and it was actually the fastest testimony I can ever remember, including the qualifying as an expert. Promise you, I was off that stand in 20 minutes. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And when I walked past uh, Senior Murdoch, I said, I hope that was okay, sir. I wish I'd have had the photographs or something. Mm-hmm. They don't believe you, boy. They ain't going to believe no photographs. Oh, wow. And he thanked me, you know. If I could ever do anything for you, you called me. And, and, you know, that was the only interaction I'd ever had with uh, the Murdoch family. And I like to remind people to uh, look, it was an extremely bad, bad thing. Bad time, bad decades attributed to one bad actor. Yeah, right. That doesn't negate all the good that oh, the, yeah. family the family did. did. Yeah. You know, because uh, people are like, I guess you hate the Murdoch. No, I don't hate them. I feel terribly sorry for the situation that yeah. they're in. And families don't like to blame family members, but I, I wish they would, you know, point some of the negativity towards the negative. Right. Lord have mercy. Somebody shot me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was really, really uh, fairly close to uh, Alex's sister when I worked for the First Circuit Solicitor's oh, okay. Office. She was a victim's advocate. And they were always really, really nice to me. I didn't know Alec, but uh, I did know Mr. Murdoch Sr. And I did know Alec's sister. Okay. We've heard some interviews that Creighton did where he talks about how Alec would stare him down. When you were on the stand, did he? Did you notice if he was staring you down? <laughs> they tell me he was, but I couldn't see him. Okay. With the clerk of court. And the, I guess it's the uh, stenographer mm-hmm. or court reporter. I get that right, y'all. Mm-hmm. In front of me, I couldn't, I did not have a straight shot. If you remember, Alec was on one end and then they moved him to the middle or I might have got that backwards. Mm-hmm. When they moved him, I could no longer see him. Oh, gotcha. So but, you don't know if he was shooting daggers at you. Well, I look back at the video now and and he, he, he was, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm looking at whoever's examining me and the jury and uh, I, he could he could have been ice skating. It didn't matter to me. Yeah. <laughs> he could probably wish he could have been ice skating at that point. <laughs> Can't ice skate, where, you know, what we're talking about. But anyhow. How how do you not take it home? Like we were talking about, how do you not take some oh, of the I stuff Oh, I do. Home? My wife will tell you, I'm a hard person to deal with. I think I have softened with age. <laughs> but I will even tell you, I'm a perfectionist. I don't do everything perfect, but I want it to be perfect. Right. And uh, matter of fact, I do very little perfect, but I, I like to tell people when I get up every morning at six, I try to walk like Jesus. And by seven, I failed miserably. Yeah. So everything I do, <laughs> I try to do perfect and I get frustrated when I can't make it perfect. So, uh, you know, hats off to my family, my wife, my kids. Uh, I've really softened and we'll go somewhere with my dad and uh, 
my son will be acting up and I'll get on him real bad. My dad's like, you're being awful tough on him, son. I'm like, where did my daddy go? Yeah, well, that's his grandchild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I want it, you know, I, I not necessarily want it, but I figured that's the way it's going to be because I think I have softened a lot. She might not tell you that, but I believe I, I believe that that law enforcement and crime scene investigators and all of these people that go out and do the things that you do, you have to be a really tough person to do that. Yes, ma'am. I think that the spouse at home is even tougher. Oh, no doubt. I think they're even tougher than you are. And they are, in a lot of ways, unsung heroes because they keep your socks clean and they keep <laughs> food in your belly Absolutely. so that you can go and do the job that you do. And then they have to deal with what comes home. Oh, I have to agree with you. And, and deal with you turning around on the way home and turn around going to another crime scene, not coming home and not coming home, you know. And I'll tell you, uh, I was John Wayne. I'm telling you, you <laughs> could, I wasn't the one you wanted passing out teddy bears to a victim. <laughs> I wasn't the huggy, queasy kind of, you did not want me doing that part. Right. And I got an award uh, from the Sheriff's Association this past July. And I'm telling you, I, I didn't know it was going to happen. And, and they flashed up. My daughter was uh, pregnant with my grandson and they flashed up a video. It had my sheriff, who's a dear friend. Uh, they had Creighton. They had uh, Alan Wilson. They had my wife, my daughter, my son. And I went from Dr. Kevorkian to Dr. Pump. I mean, I've got tears going down oh, my wow. face. I mean, in a matter of seconds, yeah. I, I became a bumbling mess. Wow. And I'll be honest, I didn't like it. But uh, <laughs> you have no control of that. And now you see these SPCA commercials oh and stuff. Gosh, and really and, you, and I'm like, wait a minute. You know, no, you can't do this. But <laughs> something changes. I think when you understand that you're only on this rock a little while mm -hmm. and you get closer to jumping off this rock, I think things soften up a little bit. Yeah. I still think I'd be okay in a if if you chop off your finger, which my son did with the crossbow. Oh, no. I'm that guy you want there because my wife will tell you I'm instantly into fight mode. We're going to make it right. But you probably don't want to be the one to come up to me when you've lost a loved one and tears roll, especially a lady. Tears rolling down your face and you want a big hug because I'm probably going to sit there and cry with you now. <laughs> before you'd be like, mm, oh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't even a consideration before. Right. But if something happens when you get north of 50 that uh, you'll find out, ladies, okay, it's, something yeah, that, yeah. it's something that'll happen. <laughs> and it, and it, I don't like it. It's what I'm stuck with. That's and uh, so I that's can, just I, I can see that happening. Real quick, we know that you retired. Tell us what you've been doing in your retirement. I am working harder. Sheriff, don't listen to this. I'm working harder than I worked for uh, the sheriff's office in Orangeburg for many, many years. I have got some wonderful attorneys uh, in three states. I said I would never get the opportunity to work criminal cases again. And what a blessing, you know, half of my cases are criminal and uh, half, you know, the other half, of course, are civil. 
and I've got attorneys and it grows every day. I have attorneys call me, uh, had one call me from the ski slopes, text me, not call, text me from the ski slopes on New Year's Day. Said, look, I want to hook you for this class, for this case. And uh, what I tell folks is when an attorney says, I need you to get up and say this, then I send them down the road. But if an attorney calls me and says, I just want to know the truth so we'll know how to attack this. Mm-hmm. I'm your man. Yeah. I just finished the 11th session, 1123 of the Death Investigator Academy, oh. uh, Medical Legal Death Investigator Academy. Wow. And that took me a month. It's a uh, six month course. Uh, and I, I was going to do it in 10 days. Well, oh, it took me a wow. month. <laughs> but I, I've been teaching. And in the last couple of years, since I got my PhD, I haven't done a lot of sitting in a classroom. That's the one thing that attorneys have used against me. So in the last couple months, I have gained, you know, over 100 hours of uh, advanced courses, classes and seminars. Sure. And I just want to be ready. You know, the next time an attorney says, well, isn't it true you don't have you're not that kind of doctor? No. Isn't it true you don't have any medical training? Well, now, now I the do. answer is, yes, sir, actually, I do. And, <laughs> you know, here's the diploma. It's accredited class uh, academy. And I'm just trying to better myself and, and try to anticipate that question before it comes. But are you still doing some hunting and fishing as well? I am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, today would have been a day. And, and I, I thought this was important enough to miss the dove field. Ooh. But it's okay. It worked out with the That's weather. Crazy. It worked out. Thank so, you. So we're gonna we're gonna kick off do some quail hunting uh in February and yeah. then of course the fishing, you know, when it warms up, you get an adult beverage and go out there and sand tea and, and you fish and it it's just been phenomenal. We've done some traveling. Like I said, I've got wonderful clients in several states now and it and it's not about saying they did or didn't do it. That's not my part. My part is to explain the physical evidence and let the jury decide. Got some prosecutors, like I said, that I've I've helped and anticipate helping. And the blessing that I have, uh, I'm never going to be a rich guy, but the blessing I have is that I have a pension. So when, you know, COVID shut down everything, uh, you know, I know a lot of people that resorted to serving papers. They, they're usually investigators, but now they're having to serve divorce papers to get by. I'm okay. And I don't do it for the money. I do it for the, I guess, the the right reasons, you know, the people I get to meet, the people you get to help. And I got chewed up miserably the first week by a lady who was an expert in another state. She said, you need to quit saying you work for the victim. That's going to kill your business and yada, yada, yada. And I fired back in a kind of Kenny Kinsey way, but she really took it the way I meant it. And uh, I, I had to backpedal it. No, no, ma'am, I'm not saying that. I've been doing this. This didn't start in March of 2023. I've been doing it since 2019. I've been doing it since 1994, but I just did it legal. I, I've now got a company and I'm paying my taxes and, you know, I paid my taxes before <laughs> government, but I paid it under my social security number. Right. I didn't pay it under an LLC. So I just figured that I've had such a blessing. You don't need those roadblocks. And, you know, I had never had the benefit of being to write off expenses. And right, right. I'm the most ignorant businessman there is. But uh, 
my accountant gets on me and he's like, you need to save that receipt. You need to save this receipt. And let's look at it this <laughs> way. And never had any of that. Right. So I just do the crime scene work. And when they call me, you know, it's just such a blessing. Right. That's awesome. Well, I got to tell you, this has been absolutely extraordinary and we cannot thank you enough. I feel like we've said it all. We've asked it all. Like you've told us everything and we, you've been open and forthcoming with everything that you've done and and said. So we absolutely are so honored. I mean, just beyond honored that you and your wife came here today to visit us and to be on our little rinky dink. I know. Um, Sideshow. <laughs> so the best part is you, we do crime. We do. We don't do crime scenes. We don't. That's not who we are. We've often thought we'd like to get into it, but after we, listening yes. to him. There's like a smell issue. I think there's, I'm a, have a, we've, there's a problem. I, I have, a, I have an issue with that. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I can just work at the crime scene lab. Well, you want to do reconstruction. Most of that is photographs. Okay. okay. I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Because yeah. I don't like dead people. Like, I don't no. like them. So, and it's nothing against them. It's just I don't like them. But um, we do true crime and baking. And the best part about it is we bake. We did. And this was this is oh. the first time in quite a while that we actually did it together. No, we did it together. So it's not we just normally, one person or the other. It, it took both it was of a team us to work. do this We way. were high-fiving in the kitchen at 9 o'clock last night. <laughs> yes, because we were so nervous it didn't turn out. And it is far from perfect. I will no, it is not perfect. perfect. We are not. We, we don't even seek perfection anymore because we know we're not going to get it. But we do our best. We're just home bakers and we, we're just a couple of broads. I'll talk about it if you want to. Yes. Cut a something. I do. I really do. Go cut a something. <laughs> All right. So I found a recipe on TaraTeaspoon.com for a Valentine's Day strawberry cake roll. Wow. Now, if you look at her picture on the website, it's all like fancy schmancy, beautiful, perfect hearts. We didn't do such a good job right, on the decorating. Right, I just turned it around and it, you can see a heart. Oh, well, that is really exciting. You can see something. Some part of a heart. heart. The food coloring was supposed to be red and pink, and it came out purple. (laughs) So (laughs) We like purple. (laughs) But um, one of the things that you mentioned that you enjoy was strawberry. It was actually the first thing on your list, and I always go with the first thing on the list because I feel like that popped to your head first. That's probably your favorite. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. This is a... A really simple recipe. You make a gen- genoise cake, and that's the kind of cake that's thin. You got to put a lot of air bubbles in it because there's no leavening agents. So there's no baking soda or anything in it. So it's a lot of eggs, and you just whip the heck out of them until it's real foamy. You fold in some stuff. You throw it in your pan. You cook it, and then you got to roll yes, it ma'am. up and let it cool. And the strawberry part is actually strawberry jelly. And then you put this nice little cream cheese mixture on top of it. That's what we came up with. Sister's going to break all the china. (laughs) And because we were having such a simple mess, I pulled out the fine china and sterling silver for this. ladies. To come over. And we don't want to put you on the spot and make you tell us if it's good or not. Oh, I will tell you. I'm that kind of (laughs) guy. Is this a recipe hit or a recipe fail? Because we have had some fails, especially when we've been drinking. We can't start drinking until the recipe's in the oven. Yes. See, that's the good thing about the grill. As long as you have a plan B, you can drink all you want. Oh, that's Because if you mess up plan A, you just have a B. We're going to have to start coming up with some grilled dessert. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have flubbed some stuff on the back porch. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, well, we did a, well, I, I did a pound cake one time and I made the recipe a thousand times and I swear, I just, I guess I rushed it or something, but I pulled it out. It looked like it was done. And when I flipped it over, the whole inside was still raw. And it was, it was just all topsy-turvy. It was something. Did we, what did we do? Make a trifle? We ended up turning it into a trifle. Yeah, we cut around it. I never understood it, but both of my grandmothers would chase me around the house with that wooden spoon. You made my cake fall. It fell when it fell. Yeah. You know? Yeah. With the pound cakes you cut, you had to stuff lightly. That's right. That was an old recipe when they put it in a cold oven and then turned the the oven on in it. But for us, the bourbon made it fall. It was the bourbon. (laughs) The bourbon made it fall. It was, it was a lot I love bourbon. a good bourbon, ladies. Us too. Girls right here. We enjoy <laughs> good bourbon. As a matter of fact, one of my Christmas presents to myself was a really nice bottle of bourbon. Wow. <laughs> Don't wait for me. If you insist. My friends at work uh, all give me a retirement bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. No. And I told them, they're like, you broke it open yet? I said, no, it's got to be something really special. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, the big one. Ladies, that is phenomenal. Mm. No doubt. Thank you so much. So I think that we hit it out of the park. You knocked it out of the park. Thin, light, and very strawberry. Oh, look at that. Well, I guess we're going to wrap it up. We are. We're going to wrap it up. What we're going to say to you right now is please stay sweet and don't murder. Because if you kill people, we will talk about you. And don't want that to happen. No. (laughs) We hope everyone has a good week. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you later. Bye, This has been Sugar-Coated Murder Podcast, a deliciously entertaining true crime podcast. Like what you heard? You can always explore past episodes by visiting sugarcoatedpod.com. Don't forget to like our Facebook fan page and share with friends. Thanks for listening to Sugar-Coated Murder Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.